Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money, Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. 
It's going to be an awesome Friday. I mean, every day above ground is a good day. But it's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. The questions are better than they've ever been before. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessikellyshow.com. On my life. People think I'm making these up. These are the things you send in. We have a fight to the death between Vikings and Samurais and more. I have to help some high school kid through his Valentine's Day plans. We've been invaded by a foreign army. Gettysburg, helicopter crashes, and reading lists. You name it, it's all there. Obviously, plenty of political questions, too. I don't even know. I don't even know if I'm going to take a guest today. I may cancel the one guest I have scheduled and just do the whole show myself. Three hours of me, Chris. What? What? (laughs) First, though, before we get to the Ask Dr. Jesse questions, which I will get to, I'll try to get to sooner rather than later. I'm going to try to keep the history story relatively short today. But as you well know, every time I say that, it goes an hour. But I'm going to try. I make no promises. If I sound a little bit fired up and excited, honestly, you want to know the honest truth? I always try to give it to you right right between the eyes. It's because there aren't any major news stories today, and we really just get to screw off all day long. And aren't you sick of the news I mean, isn't it terrible? And yeah, I'm going to answer some uh, some political questions. So don't get me wrong. We'll, we'll hit some of that. But aren't you sick of all this crap? Is Sometimes you got to step away. But before we step away, let's take a little trip back in time to 1918 in Europe. Now, we have talked a million times about World War I. And we've never really talked about America's involvement in World War I. And I will admit to you, as an ugly American, I'm just kidding, I'm a beautiful American, but still, as an ugly American, I grew up just assuming it was our war, right? America fought World War I. America fought World War II. And I was an adult before I really dug into it and realized, man, we really caught the tail end of World War I. I I did not fully appreciate how much France and Britain took World War I on the chin. And so all the World War I stories we've gone over of crazy things, they're always France and Germany, Britain and Germany, a combination of all of them, the Turks. But we've never really talked about America's involvement, how we got there, what we did when we got there. So I thought a little story about my beloved Marine Corps would be appropriate for today. Now, let's do a little sit rep here. That's a situational report. 1918, it is a desperate, broken time for everybody still involved in the war. Britain is broke and broken. And I mean broke financially and broken, just the morale of the nation. They are broken. France, broke and broken. Germany, 
broke and broken. They're just all, they have slaughtered each other for four years now. The young male population of the nations is decimated. People have lost so many loved ones, property. The nations have practically bankrupted themselves trying to crush each other. Uh, They're in very, very, very bad shape. Germany's, their people back home are starving by now because the British blockade has been so successful for so long. France, as you know, by now they've told everybody, uh, you have to help here or I quit. I, I'm I'm done. And that's not a rip on France. France fought like lions during this war. They just had nothing left. And Germany, because of their desperate food situation, Germany had to make a decision. A very difficult decision. A decision they've been made into monsters for, which I say is grossly unfair. They had to decide whether or not they were going to use their submarines to start sinking civilian ships. Now, we have to pause and talk about submarines because when you and I picture a submarine, we picture what we have today. You're probably not a submarine expert. Maybe you are. I know we have a bunch of dirty Navy people who listen. I'll quit, Chris. We have a bunch of dirty Navy people who listen, so you're, you're going to be an expert. But for the most part, you can picture a modern submarine of some kind. Fast, silent, nuclear-powered. I mean, just really cool. That is not a World War I-era submarine. World War I-era submarines, when they went underwater, they went from running on engines to running on battery power. And times haven't changed They couldn't hardly move at all. When they went underwater, they weren't these fast, silent, deadly things who could race around underneath the surface. They were just putzing along. So they were actually very, very, very vulnerable to allied naval convoys because the destroyers would just go hunt down these slow-moving submarines The submarines couldn't shoot and hit anything with a torpedo that was moving really fast without getting blown up themselves. Uh, You were very vulnerable in submarines. Lots of submarine guys died. But one thing that was very, very vulnerable to sub-attack were merchant ships. Merchant ships going to Great Britain. Merchant ships feeding Britain and France. Bringing foodstuffs, bringing military supplies, often from America. You could sink those. And Germany wrestled with this decision. It's not as if they were completely cold-blooded. They argued about this internally a lot. That's right, Chris. Logistics win wars. It does. Germany's starving because of Britain's blockade. Germany cannot run the British Navy off the high seas. They can't break the blockade. What they can do is find a way to starve Britain and France the way Britain is starving them. And the way you would do that is start sinking ships full of food and supplies going into Britain but these are civilians on these ships. These are not war vessels. 
Now, you can say it kind of is a war vessel. You're bringing in food to keep the nation alive. That's fight. I mean, it's just such, you see what I mean? It's such a total war gray area. If you're going to blame Germany for this, and that's fine. You have your own morals. I'm not burdened with those. But if you're going to blame Germany for the decision to start sinking these merchant ships, then I'm sorry. If all is equal, then you have to equally blame Britain for the blockade of Germany, which I also don't have a problem with. Who do you think was starving in that blockade? Just because you don't see it, women, children, old people are starving to death in Germany because of that blockade. War is war. But that's not the huge risk Germany took. It wasn't ticking off Britain or ticking off France. It was ticking off us. Because by 1918, remember this, of the three major powers, the three major allied powers who started against Germany, Britain, France, and Russia, there were only two left. Things weren't looking that bad for Germany. All right. We have a fight to the death between a Roman, a Viking, a samurai, and an English knight. That's coming up. Hang on. Jesse Kelly, on air and online at jessekellyshow.com. Take care of your health. And when I say take care of your health, I am not going to browbeat you for eating too many cheeseburgers. Otherwise, I'd be pretty guilty myself. I'm not going to scream at you about doing nine hours of cardio a day. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm saying take the simple steps you have to take to make sure you are caring for that heart, caring for that blood pressure. I have seen it firsthand, firsthand, when those things go bad, and it is really, really, really bad. And the easiest thing you can do to help take care of your heart is start eating Super Beats Heart Chews. Just two a day. Two a day. I take mine with dinner time every night. Two a day. Help your ticker out. Go to GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. That's GetSuperBeats.com slash Jesse. That gets you two free 30-day supply. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. something else going on in Jedi. I never noticed it till today. They build another Death Star, right? Yeah. Now, the first one was completed and fully operational before the Rebels destroyed it. Luke blew it up. Give credit where credit's due. And the second one was still being built when they blew it up. Compliments of Lando Calrissian. Something just never sat right with me that second time around. I could never put my finger on it, but something just wasn't right. And you figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were stormtroopers, dignitaries, Imperials. Basically. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. And the second time around? The second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet. It was still under construction. So? So a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. I'll bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing. 
plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. And not just Imperials. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. All right, so they bring in independent contractors. Why are you so upset at its destruction? All those innocent contractors brought in to do the job were killed. Casualties of a war they had nothing to do with. All right, look. You're a roofer. Some juicy government contract comes your way. You got a wife and kids, the two-story in suburbia. This is a government contract, which means all sorts of benefits. Along come these left-wing militants and blast everything within a three-mile radius with their lasers. You didn't ask for that. You have no personal politics. You're just trying to scrape out a living. Excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, what are you talking about? The ending of Return of the Jedi. My friend here is trying to convince me that any independent contractors who were working on the uncompleted Death Star were innocent victims when... Ah, uh, that's from the movie Clerks, of course. Thank you, Jewish producer Chris, for digging that up. But it's true. What is right and what is wrong when it comes to civilian deaths in war? Are we going to excuse it? Are we going to accept it? But Germany has to make a decision. They have France at this point in time and Britain on the ropes. They themselves are on the ropes, but Russia's already gone. So they can make the call, and they do make the call. Let's see if we can't bounce Britain and or France out of the war before we make America mad enough to get in the war. That was their gigantic concern. And Woodrow Wilson, that sorry president, he was a lousy president. He wanted in this war bad, bad. 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. It's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. You can send in your questions throughout the show. Jewish producer Chris is all over a Now, Woodrow Wilson wanted in this war leaders of nations, leaders of powerful nations, love war. That is just the history of mankind. When you have this gigantic hammer in your hands, you really, really, really want to hit the nail. That's the way it is. It's man's instinct. What is that great line from Game of Thrones? There is a beast in every man, and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. It's just the truth, and leaders are no different. Wilson wanted in this war, but America was founded on not getting involved in other people's wars. Let me repeat that one more time. America was founded on not getting involved in other people's wars. Go read George Washington's farewell address if you doubt me. Americans at this point were way different mentally than Americans today. The country, they had pulled it. It was something like 98% of the nation didn't want to get involved in World War I. You couldn't get 98% of America today to agree the sky is blue. The country was just, uh, well, no. That, what? what? No, we'll send some food or something. We're not going to fight someone else's war. That was That was unheard of for them. Today, that's all we know. But the Germans start sinking American ships. Americans start dying on these ships. The Germans are trying not to make, they're trying not to kill Americans as much as they can, but war is messy. 
you send a submarine out to a certain part of the water and tell them to sink any merchant vessels they see, they're going to break some eggs when they're making that omelet. They just are. And then Germany screws up big time. I to, to this day, I don't know what they were thinking. It was called, I believe it's called the Zimmerman Telegram. Sorry, I'm doing this off of memory. I didn't look this up before the show. The Zimmerman Telegram. And what it was was essentially this. Remember, the United States of America, this is the early 1900s. We are not that far removed from having taken Texas and California and all this from Mexico. We fought wars for that. That, that was, that was a, a war we fought with Mexico to gain these, to gain these territories. So Mexico, still a little salty about it. I mean, they're allies at this point. I don't want to act like they were our enemies, but they were a little salty about it. And Germany decides they're going to try to get cute. They try to talk Mexico into invading the United States of America. I'm not making this up. This is real. And not only do they try to talk Mexico into invading us, we get a hold of the telegram. It was a national embarrassment, and the Germans didn't even bother denying it. They didn't even be like, that's a fake. I was hacked. They didn't, it is, oh, yeah, it's kind of real. Well, now you've gone too far. You were already killing American civilians. Now you've told Americans we're coming for you. I mean, for America, that was too far. Boom. We're off to war. And we charge on over there. Russia's gone. And we're getting ready. Right? We're charging over to Europe, but it's not a snap your fingers and you're there thing. Germany now knows the Americans are coming. And so Germany gets desperate, desperate to finish off France and or Britain before the boots of ours actually hit the ground. They move a million troops, a million who were fighting in Russia, they move them over, or on that front, on the eastern front, they move a million troops over to the western front, and they start battering the Brits and the French. And when I say battering, I mean battering them. They blow the British out of these huge gains the British had made and slaughter them. Then they charge at the French and the rest of the allies, and they blow them out too. These Germans are motivated. They are desperate. They now don't have two fronts to fight on anymore, and they know they've got to get this done now, and they're getting big, big, big gains in this massive offensive. But as often happened in the war, they gained so much so fast, they ran out of gas. They just flat out ran out of steam. You run out of food and supplies. We've talked about this endlessly, about these thrusts people will make in war. In ancient times and modern times. Sounds good, right? Smash through them. Just keep going. All that sounds nice, but just keep going. Men have to eat food. Men need medical supplies. Men need bullets. Men need bombs. Men need you have to bring these things along, and these things move slower than a tank and a horse. They just do. Germany stalls. So Germany does what they, well, the smart thing to do. They stalled, but to avoid giving up ground, they dig in. And I mean dig in on one front, but on the other front, 
they decide to make the Hail Mary pass. They're going to finish off France. They're going to blast towards Paris, and they gather this awesome force and thrust towards Paris, and they are going all in. At one point in time, they are 35 miles from Paris. The civilians are fleeing the city. The government is packing up their stuff and taking off. It's that It's that important. It's that big of a deal. France thinks this is about over. All right, we're going to continue with that. And also, what to do with your girlfriend for Valentine's Day? Hang on. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Oh, man. The story of Gettysburg had people fired up from the other day. I love you guys. This is the best. The best part is, like I said when I was doing the Civil War part, and remember, you can find me on social media, at Jesse Kelly DC on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The best part of doing Civil War stories is they raise such passion in people. And it's equal everywhere. It is equal everywhere, and it's it's so distant in the past. You know, and they, you're not alive. Your grandpa wasn't alive. Your grandpa's grandpa might have been alive. I mean, it was just it's so long ago, and yet somebody in the North will tell you till they're blue in the face that people in the South were a bunch of dirty Nazi traitors. You know, they'll 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 scream it, and somebody in the South will tell you uh, they were defending their homeland. They were, th- And you know what's funny? Everybody, when they get mad about the Civil War and they yell about it, they all have points. Some of them are unthinking stupidity. I, I don't do that, but they all have good points. And since the show's nationwide here, I mean, look, we're in Connecticut. We're in Florida. We're, we're all over. Since the, the show's nationwide, you get the, you get the gamut of emails and phone calls. And yet, everybody, even the ones who disagreed, were totally cool with it. They would chew me out, but in a totally cool way. (laughs) It was awesome. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The voicemail yesterday. I was like, oh, you're garbage Civil War takes. And then left a great question. You know, it's just, it's awesome. It's awesome. Anyway, back to our story today before I get to all the Ask Dr. Jesse stuff. America shows up. It takes us a long time to get going, but we show up. 
when, when Germany was really thrusting towards Paris. And Paris was in bad trouble. And, and France itself, remember, in this war, had already experienced like a huge military mutiny. They had to put it down. They were having this socialist uprising. It was really bad. And part of this whole thing was this area known as Bello Wood. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong because that's how we pronounced it in the Marine Corps. And so you're just going to have to live with that. You can go look at pictures of it to this day. And I actually recommend you do Google Bellow Wood, B-E-L-L-E-A-U. It's, yeah, you know what, Chris, put it up on the show Twitter, at Jesse Kelly DC. It's so thick. There are, there are pictures of it. It's just so thick. And what happened was the Germans knew this was a line where the Americans were coming. And the Germans, who were highly experienced by this point in time, dug in defenses in this thickly wooded area, machine gun nests and everything. And they knew the Americans were coming, and they didn't, they didn't know what to make of the Americans yet. They'd fought France. They'd fought Britain. They'd fought the Russians. They had no idea what to expect from Americans. And they start by shelling the Americans a little. And then they start charging now and then, just a little here and there, charging at the Americans. And one thing they start to find out right away is, look, this is a good story for America. It just, it's, it's a good story. They start finding out right away, oh my gosh, these guys can all shoot. These guys can shoot really, really well. And you don't appreciate it as much as you should. And I don't appreciate it as much as I should, but we do have such a gun culture. There are so many people in this country who are just intimately familiar with firearms, even if it's not military, just hunting, just basic familiar, uh, some kind of familiarity with firearms. That is not normal. Many people in the world, many countries, their people don't touch weapons. So Americans shoot well. And then you join something like the Marine Corps and they teach you to shoot really, really well. And the Germans were really taken aback as they're doing these little probing charges of, oh, my gosh, these guys, these guys really know how to shoot. So they pull back into their woods. And what there is is there's a, there's a huge field, a big wheat field leading into Bellow Wood. And this is, an, look, it's, an, it's ugly. The Americans could shoot really well. As you'll see, to their credit, were fanatically brave. I mean, Japanese in World War II level bravery. But just were not experienced like France and Britain yet. Hungry for battle, ready to go, but they didn't understand the way combat had changed, the way the others had learned these lessons painfully. And France was pulling out of this area when we pulled in, and there's a famous line of the French commander saying to one of our uh, Marine Corps officers, hey, we got to get out of here. We got to retreat. And the Marine says, retreat? Hell, we just got here. Not going anywhere. And the Marines start charging across this field, but they didn't use artillery to soften the Germans up. They didn't, they didn't fully take into account how suicidal it was to line up as a big group and go charging. And the Germans are dug in. 
and they just start mowing down the Marines. 1,000 in the first day, just sawing them in half as they try to cross this wheat field and get into this wooded area. And we're, I mean, I've never experienced combat like this. It, it seems so terrifying. I don't know how people could move. Whole units would be wiped out. One, one unit of 50, six of them lived across the field. You're just, everyone's dead. And they said it, there were so many bullets going overhead, you felt like you could hold up your metal helmet and catch them. Just catch a whole helmet full of them. People would lay down and try to bury their face in the ground because the bullets were inching. You could feel the air of the bullets passing over their head. These Germans are experienced. They're dug in. It's just complete death. And one thing that you read about when you read these guys' stories about this is how lucky you were to survive. It wasn't skill. It was your buddy next to you, your four buddies the other side. They're all dead and you don't die. And one guy's describing the bullet the bullet uh, holes. He had two or three holes in his trousers, three or four holes in, in, his, in his upper part, but never none of them hit him, just passed right through him. What do you feel like at the end of the day looking at bullet holes through your uniform? Just complete luck to survive. And the Marines finally figure out, okay, this is not... This is not going to work. They do get, some of them do get into the woods, and they fight like absolute lions in there. The Germans couldn't stop talking about it. You know the Marine Corps name Devil Dogs? You've heard the Marine Corps name Devil Dogs? This battle is where they got it. I believe the German word, I may have this wrong, is Tufelhunden. The Germans were obsessed. Like I mean, they're German. They were obsessed with raiding and grading other troops, other generals, other this, other that. And they said, these guys are freaking demons. They just will not stop. They will not. St- they don't stop coming. They don't stop coming. You can't pull them back. Finally, the Marines wake up. Because this is like a three-week battle. And they start using artillery, trying to blow the Germans out. And the Germans were writing. We still have memoirs to this day about how they didn't understand it. They kept slaughtering them. And they just would keep moving forward. They would never move backward. They were always always advancing constantly. And that's really a, a Marine Corps philosophy. It's not the same. And I'm not telling you it's better than anyone else. Obviously, I'm biased to it because it's the Marines. But they talked about this in the Pacific where Army units would be with Marines. And the Marines would advance way faster. And it wasn't that it was better. It was just the Marines believe a naked aggression now is better than perfectly plodding along. Get them on their heels. Plunge in. The army is more of a move forward slowly kind of uh, philosophy, which I like the Marine Corps one, but again, I'm the most biased person in the world. All right, I'm going to wrap this story up at Bella Wood because it's Ask Dr. Jesse time. And man, it's going to be a great day. <laughs> We're being invaded. I have a plan. Hang on. Missed out? Catch up. JessieKellyShow.com You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. 
for dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. It is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, 877-377-4373, 877-377-4373. The Marines, after taking huge casualties at Bellow Wood, they change tactics. They start using artillery. They start using smaller units. They're adapting, and they're adapting quickly. They're not taking years. They're taking days. The Germans start counterattacking as the Marines start taking ground. And the Germans are figuring something else out. Marines dug in in the defensive are not easily moved. The Germans are running up against a brick wall because you thought you could shoot. You thought they could shoot before. Wait until Marines are dug in. You just simply cannot get through them. Finally, the Germans start gassing us. Mustard gas, it's chlorine gas. It's just that the, the gases they used in World War I were really, really bad. Uh, there's a guy who won a Medal of Honor, Gunny Stockholm. I, I'm not going to read the citation because the World War I citations are terrible. The, the, the citations I read are mostly World War II and later because the, the, they just didn't put any effort into the earlier ones, so you don't get many details. You saw it, didn't you, Chris? It's just not very good. They're, they're not very good. But a Marine, uh, Gunnery Sergeant Stockham, won a Medal of Honor for one of the bravest things I've ever heard of in my life. He had a gas mask on. He was treating wounded guys. And one guy he was treating, his gas mask, he had either lost it or had been shot off him or something something to that effect. And I understand this. And this, I'm, I'm going to move on from this story here, and I'm going to wrap it up. But... I don't want to get too ugly, but when you're dying from gas and when you're seeing people die from gas, that's a new kind of horror. You're watching people choke, claw their eyeballs literally out of their head. It's awful. And this Gunny Stockham, watching people around him die like this, took off his own gas mask to give it to a wounded guy so he could have it, and the gunny didn't. And then this gunny ran around without a gas mask on, treating wounded people until he succumbed to the gas and fell over and died a horrible death and did it intentionally. Intentionally. That is, that is bravery most people simply do not possess. I certainly don't. Now, 
the Marines continue, can continue and continue, and soon they've taken eight thousand casualties. Half of the Fourth Brigade is gone, but the Germans cannot take any more. They're just overwhelmed at the suicidal bravery of the Americans, and they turn, and they break, and they surrender. And this was the beginning of a gigantic offensive we took part in with France that essentially ended the war. And I do have to remember the the great Dan Daly, Marine Corps hero. You learn about him a lot when you're in the Marines. This is where he screamed at his men as they were getting mowed down Come on, you sons of blank. I can't say it on the air. Come on, you sons of blank. You want to live forever? You know what the lesson is for today? America has a really, really, really great history. That's it. A really cool history. A history you should be proud of. A history you should tell your kids about. And this place is worth the fight we go through. When you get worn down, when I get worn down, then you're just like, screw it. We're done. Screw it. Remember something. People have gone through a lot worse than this on behalf of this country. Take a break if you have to, but keep on going. Keep on going. All right. It's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. It is time for us to begin. 877-377-4373, 877-377-4373. We also just got word we're getting picked up by yet another U.S. city. How this is happening, I don't really know. I don't really know, but I'm glad it is. I'm glad it is. So send in your emails, make your phone calls. Apparently, we're all in this ride together now. Let us begin. Mentor Jesse. Anyways, I thought a question I'd ask you on a lighter note for a Dr. Jesse Friday. I love history too, so here it goes. If you could pick any one of the four fighters in a deathmatch arena and you had to bet everything you own on this one man, which one would you choose? Each one is from the peak of their time period and they all have a sword. A Roman soldier, a Viking, a samurai warrior, an English knight. I think this is easy. Well, I take that back. One, the Roman soldier is gone. And this is why. The Roman soldier was a unit fighter. They fought amazingly as a unit. That's why they were so powerful. And I'm sure they were tough individually. They're not in the same league as the other three. Viking, also gone. I know you're going to find this disappointing, I found it disappointing when I found out. You want to know one of the horrible, disappointing historical facts? You ready for this? I'm about to burst your bubble. Hang on. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it. 
for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.